and you're very welcome to another episode of the Women's Rugby Pod. I'm Johnny Hammond and we've got Rachel Burford alongside the World Cup winner. How are you, Burford? You're looking very sunned. I've just come off training, so I think I'm just actually tired. So it's just <laughs> tiredness, not necessarily. A tired glow. Yeah. Okay. Call it raw, please, for birth, ladies and gents. <laughs> Um, but a bit of sun in you being using there as well, are you? It takes me back to 2014. There's all of you bright blonde women in the uh, in the England backline that couldn't tell apart. But a bit of sun in there, or are you uh, just all natural? Or even know what sun in is? Those that know, know. Yeah, I don't think it exists anymore. What does it? it might go down that way. It's really expensive to get highlights nowadays. Well, there you are. Bit, bit of lemon juice, and you're away, apparently. Apparently, Apparently. Well, I yeah. think you can do some tips. Go on, then give us a tip. No. <laughs> anyway, what you got for us this week? Oh, mate, it's packed. It's packed. It's jam packed. It always is, isn't it? We've got a historic game down from New Zealand. We've got the lights coming down on England's spring campaign. So I've done there. Um, uh, we've got a little bit of Premier News uh, and a little bit of news from over in France as well. Plus this massive, massive news from your club as one of the founding pillars is removed from Harlequins. All of that to get into. Um, but first of all, we've got Simon Middleton on the pod, the England boss, to talk us not only about that bizarre ending uh, over in France at the weekend and player safety and hit from his point of view but also just have a look back at England's campaign over the Six Nations and that that friendly uh, last weekend. Let's get straight into mids. Anyway it's a very good morning on the WRP to the uh, England boss Simon Middleton. Good morning Simon how are we? Yeah pretty good Uh, obviously well sort of enjoying life after the Six Nations but uh, enjoying it in quarantine. So, yeah, plenty of opportunity to do our review work, which always follows a big, <laughs> a big tournament. So, uh, yeah, it probably, uh, probably gives the opportunity to, to spend some valuable time sort of looking at the detail of what's just gone off. So, back from France, in isolation what, for the rest of the week? Yeah, we, uh, we've got to test again on Thursday. If we get those tests back, we can come out of quarantine we've got another test on Sunday just to make sure that everything's aligned but yeah we've probably got about another three days welcome relief then because you're a you're not in the car clocking up the road miles and um yeah as you say you get a chance to sit down and, and do your review work which leads us nicely on I think that's uh part of my role here to lead us nicely on um Six Nations as a whole we'll get to in a second but we've got to we've got to start with the um, with that bizarre end to the game in France um, with the uh, with the lights going off. How did it all play out for you? And just your thoughts now that kind of the dust has settled and and the lights are back on. Yeah, it's one of them things that you know it's probably never happens once in a lifetime to you. Uh, but I just I just. <laughs> My diary memory of it was, I I just knew the lights wouldn't come back on, I, and I just thought straight away we won the game because I knew it had gone past 60, 60 minutes, uh, and that was you know, that was pretty pretty important. We won that game, given that we'd found out earlier in the day 
via BBC website that if we lost the game, we'd, we'd slide to number two in the world, which I found absolutely bizarre. But that was that was a little bit of extra motivation for us. So uh, anyway, we, we just we just made a substitution. We just got Claudia McDonald on the field, which we wanted to get it on for twenty minutes, and we we were just waiting for a breaking play. And I looked; it was sixty-one and a half. And I said, "Right, let's get Claude's on." And I don't know what was in her first pass, but as soon as she hit, the lights went out. <laughs> and uh, and I, it's one of those things because it's like when stadium lights go out, it's very rare that the game, and particularly because the game was so late at night. Anyway, uh, yeah. I was like, "This is this is that's it." And uh, yeah, as it turned out, it was. And how how was it related to you that 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 was it? Were there officials well, from the ground? Yeah, there was. So obviously there, there was the, the initial reaction, which was a bit bizarre, really, because the, the French, within 30 seconds, were in a huddle in the middle of the field. Uh, you know, we were just wondering, like, a little bit like, wow, what's going on? Uh, so we, we obviously got down pitch side and, uh, and started uh, just sort of weighing the situation up. Uh, I think it was a, it was a little bit like I said to, to our team manager, right? Just just go see the ref, just find out exactly how long the period is before we have to uh, before the decision's made. And she was like, uh, "Yeah, no problem." So she went and she came back, and she was like, "Oh, they said fifteen minutes. Uh, if the lights aren't back on in fifteen minutes, the game will be abandoned." And uh, and I said to her, "You know, just confirm. We've gone past sixty minutes. You know, we we win the game." And she came back and she was like, "Yeah, it's, that that's the situation." So we, we, we waited for best part of 15 minutes and then they came back in and they were like, oh, we're pretty confident we can get the lights back on in sort of 15 to 20 minutes uh, on top of the 15. And and I at that point, I just got the medical staff together and I was, I was look, you tell me what you think, but that doesn't sound great to me. We've just come off the back of half time. The girls have, you know, we're at the end of a, a very tough tournament. Yeah. Uh, the girls have warmed up, played half a game, cooled down, warmed back up, or got back into the game. And now we're going to have to go through another process that, even if we've got the lights back on, you would be looking at the best part of 40 minutes to get the game on, which would take us to nearly 11 o'clock at night. So I just said to Annie, look, and the, and the medical staff said, well, what do we think? Like, it's not a good idea. I said, no, let's, let's, we're not prepared to do that. Because they, they were, because it was a friendly. Uh, classes of friendly, they, they were saying you, you you can decide between yourselves if you want to extend the game. But we were just looking and just going, this has just got disasters written all over this in terms of the you know the welfare of the players. Uh, and so we just said, you know, and and I was I was of that opinion that fifteen minutes won't mean fifteen minutes to get the lights back on on top of what's already gone. And and it and it didn't it definitely didn't seem that way. I think the lights did strike up, but as we were leaving the stadium about an hour later. Uh, yeah. You know, so so that was it, really. It was, it was bizarre, but uh, you know, at times like that, you got to you got to think about the players and, and you know what you're asking them to do. Uh, it was frustrating for us because you know we it, we it's been a really tough game as you as you you you've seen, but we've we built a lot a lot around how we finished the game, and, and we knew we knew in the first game against them it would be the last sort of twenty minutes, and and particularly the the way. We'd selected the bench. We, we had, you know, we had probably more firepower on the bench to come off this week than last week. Uh, we, we had different types of players. So we had Borman on, we had Cleal, we had McDonald, we had uh, Beckett, who 
trained fantastically well the week before and but Bowman so we had a lot of firepower. I was really confident that we, we would be able to kick on. And, we, and, we, and apart from the field position they'd got just before the break, you know, the actual lights went out. We dominated the, the second half. Uh, so there's nothing to suggest that the score would have been anything different but or even even more in our favour. So we're a bit frustrated that we didn't get to, to action that part of the plan and that those players didn't get game time. And we had two youngers on the bench who, you know, th- there was a chance if we could have got away Another score away, we'd have probably got those two on the field. Uh, so there was, you know, there, there was a lot of reasons to keep the game going. But ultimately, player welfare has to be the top of the agenda. And uh, you know, in you know, at the same time, you know, there's, there's some very big club games about to come up, semi-finals and finals, and you've got to consider the big picture at times like that. If it had been, it's a question that I, I think you probably just answered there uh, at the back end of the your. Your answer to the last question, but if it had been fifty-eight thirty on the clock, is the mindset, is the decision different, or is it still just it, it's player welfare? No, I, I, I think it's it's still player welfare. I think at that point, uh, you know, you it's you, that you, your medical staff are there for a reason, yeah. uh, and times times like this, you completely trust what they're going to tell you. And, uh, and 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 all they did was reaffirm what I felt. Uh, we were in total agreement, you know. So another two minutes either way wouldn't have made any difference. You, know, you looked around the changing room. It was a brutal game, you know. Two brutal yeah. games back to back in a short turnaround and a travel in between. You know, we'd spent you know, a day on a coach, uh, which was great actually the way we got there. Uh, but there were so many different <laughs> dynamics to that game that. You just you would have never forgiven yourself if we'd have gone back out and a player had picked up a serious injury. Yeah, I know, absolutely. Well, let, let's let's move away from um, Lightgate and uh, the, the sexist <laughs> guy who was uh, dealing with the lights of the stadium. But by some accounts on social media, it's just extraordinary. Um, it's one of those things, and it is twenty twenty one. So <laughs> nothing is out, off the off the table, is it? Um, it's just your your assessment then of the Six Nations as a whole, purely with the with the with the Red Roses hat on your 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 marks out of ten, uh, if you were in a, in a sort of slightly educational way, but also the, the things you need to just go back and have a look at, and the things you've been really pleased with. Oh, that's three questions in one, but you know it's dusty bit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> you're asking me to do the, the, the give the outcome of the, the review. The review before we've done it. I'm not sure I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> 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 okay, the review, right? I, I give you four, oh, mate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what man, did you what did you expect me to ask ten. this morning then? <laughs> Six and a half. No, no, no. That's fair. That's fair enough. I'm, I'm just thinking, how can I give you a broad? <laughs> without getting myself in hot water. Six you and will. Half, I would say. Six, six and a half. Uh, yep. I would say, yeah, we, but I think that, and, and this is a little bit, and, and I know this might sound a little bit odd, but that's that one of the disappointing things about not completing the last 20 minutes of the competition was, I said to the players before we went out to, to, for that last game, there was a lot of things on our agenda that, that we wanted to get out of the comp that were right on the borderline between tick or cross, uh, and that game would probably decide a few. And 
and the last 20 minutes of the game would have probably decided a few. You know, things about our physicality and how one of the biggest things we wanted to do was, was see what our physicality like, see how we can sustain intensity in, you know, in the games. And, you know, what I would say is, I mean, with the greatest of respects to Scotland and Italy, you're probably going to find that out more against France. And we, we saw, and we found out, and, and I, I have to say, that's the best French side I've seen uh, for a long, long time in those games. They, they've, they've reshaped a bit about how they go about stuff. Very physical, defensively, you know, a lot of, lot of physicality, line speed, put you under a lot of pressure, uh, try and drive the tempo of the game through, you know, through, through their, their tap goes and through their, just, just their general energy in the game. Uh, and I, and I thought I also thought you know some of their you know some of their players played played really well as well. So they really challenged us. Uh, but I thought in the first game we got them at the end of the second half, first half, and we got them at the end of the second half. In terms of, I didn't think, although the game was close, I didn't think we were going to lose that game uh, because I thought they didn't have enough to get us with, and and I, I could see us getting stronger. And I saw that in the in the second game as well. So, I think in terms of a real big positive, one of the things we'd worked on and talked about what we see was how can we maintain physicality in the game uh, and, and keep our intensity levels high. And I thought we did that through both games. That, hence the, the 20 minute being the last one. We wanted to see that because ultimately in the biggest of games, that's, that's probably going to be when the deciding factor comes out and the impact of the finishes, which... You know, we, we've got a very, I think we've got a very specific group of players, squad of players that can be divided into starters and finishers. Now, nobody wants to be a finisher. I mean, they want to be in the squad, but they don't want to be a finisher. They want to be a starter. So the challenge is that for those guys to convert what I probably see as a 20, 25 minute real high intensity performance to a 60 minute one. And then we can flip it on its head. Uh, so, to not get that last bit in on France was was another thing that sort of left it a couple of things uh, a couple of stones unturned as such. But generally, you know, and I, I would take no no pleasure in this whatsoever. But if you look across the the, the course of the, the four games, there was a lot of players left the field that weren't England players. If you know what I mean, we we we, we kept all our players on the field, strong, fit, going. We we've built up. Uh, a real sort of resilience and robustness, which you know you're going to need to go to New Zealand and win a World Cup, uh, and that was one of the other things. So when you talk about physically, it's not just about the intensity; it's it's how robust can your team be under extreme physical pressure, like we had in the two France games. And there was a few French players leaving the field, but there wasn't any English players leaving the field uh, in any of those games. And I was. The details that I reflected on with Alex Mayer, our strength and conditioning head. Uh, you, know, you measure physicality in different ways, and uh, you take no pleasure from any any player leaving the field uh, through injury. Uh, but if that's a reflection of us developing our our strength, robustness, it's something England have lacked in the past, and and that translates well from what we've been training and trying to do. So I think yeah. you know from that point of view, that's 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 a big plus for us. I think the depth of the squad. Uh, you know, it's we, we brought other players into the squad, and we've got so much strength in depth now, and, and I'm surely tested. 
I mean, you know, we, we, we were down to our last 24 players when we went into that thing, but not because of injury. There was a lot of factors built in, COVID, the sevens, et cetera, et cetera. But we always knew that last that last game, we, we, we stretched a little bit in terms of, you know, and because we tested a specific number of players right at the start, 35 players, and every week those 35 players were tested. Now, we had a couple on that list that we didn't go to, that we could have done. Uh, but ultimately, when you take up, all the, 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 the factors into account. We were we were down to to our last twenty four, but you know we still went to France and won, and that's that takes some doing. Indeed, it does. Uh, Medi- what do we? What do we? Yeah. So I was going to say, yeah, make congratulations on, yeah, on mean, the win. What makes up the three point five then? Out of ten, the bad uh, bit. As you know, the work ons. I, I think we've got to be. Yeah, we've we've got to be more effective with the ball. We got to, uh, early on in the game, the first sixty minutes of the game, we you know, or, or the first thirty of each half, we we don't want to be a back inside half side. So we've got to find a way of translating some of our forward men in, into more chances, more chances that don't revolve around set piece. Because that, the, the other thing was a set piece was was probably the biggest. Uh, I thought a line out against France in the, in the second year was outstanding. You know, really, really good. I, uh, I strung, I, you know, it's come under pressure in both games. I think, but then again, France, are, you know, I think they're setting the standard for scrummaging in the world. And that's, but that's something for us to look at. But in the first game, line out, we had some good positions. But we couldn't get the platform right. In fact, we had a lot of good positions in the first game against France, but couldn't get the platform right. Uh, and, and then, you, you know, you either play enough scraps or it's been reversed into a penalty, or, or you, you know, you've lost the ball at the, the, the set piece. So, you know, there's a there's a there's a volume of work to do there. There's a volume of work to do with our our general uh, attacking play, and just how we, you know, how we open defenses up a little bit more. Uh, I thought I thought our defence was was a, a highlight through the the tournament, but at the same time, we're still knocking off at times, and we got exposed a couple of, well about three or four times by France come in you know we're working really hard on the outside and we're, but we're not closing the middle of the field down yeah. which is something like the France game but if you if you put pressure on the outside they generally come back down the middle and that's and, the, and they've got us a few times around there uh, but we scrambled well uh, and, and which is all part of defence and then the other part of our game was our attack which I thought was outstanding you know, something again we've worked on an awful lot teams are starting to kick a lot lot more now France had to kick the ball more than we did in the last game you know and we adjusted our plan to try and get the ball behind them and shift them around a little bit more uh, but that's that's probably a product of uh, Tremblay going to full back uh, so you know but you know off the back of a kicking game comes a counter attack game and and ours was pretty good uh, with the chances we had. I mean, you know, Abbey down, absolutely sensational. Uh, but but I thought we brought the ball back pretty well in other games. You know, uh, I think you know I've talked uh, when I talk and talking about the France games a lot here. I think the Scotland games and the and the uh, yeah. Italy games. You know, we were we were good out out of the block Scotland, but then we just mentally we knocked off, uh, which was really disappointing because we set ourselves up to really sort of put our foot down in the second half and we wanted to do that and then we didn't do it. But then in Italy, it was a reverse of it. We were, we were slow out of the blocks but then we went through the gears in the second half and, you know, it, it shows if if you come up against a defence that isn't France or offers you opportunities, you know, we, we can strip their defences down but we're going to have to, we're going to have to be better against the better defences. 
Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, I'll ask three questions in one. So, um, no, I did, did, delighted for Abby. It's uh, been a bumpy road the last few weeks, and I'm absolutely delighted to see her performing quite so well. Um, I, I know you're not, not a man to, to, to single out individuals, so I, I, won't, I won't ask you to. Um, I think fairly obvious and, and across the board with various awards and stuff, you know, Public Clear's had an outstanding um, Six Nations uh, Zoe Allcroft in, in those kind of conversations as as well, but but many more. Just how bad are your headaches when it comes to selection meetings? And and in particular, I'll give you just a couple of hotspots <laughs> that that sort of back row, back five, and also sort of in, in, in the centres as well. It, it it you've got embarrassment of riches. You almost had sort of um, product a failure of your own success, really getting these players to such an uh, unbelievable levels. Yeah, it's it's what we want, isn't it? It's what we talked about, you yeah. know, off the back of 2014, and, and then yeah. and then still lots of work to do off the back of 2017 in a lot of positions. And uh, yeah, the, the the back five bit, uh, and that's the versatility. That's where the versatility bit comes in. And fair play, that's one of the things which plays really brought to the to the pack uh, in his time with it as well was the versatility, you know. And the, players, well, oh, I'm a this and I'm a that, and he, he would say, no, you, you're a back five player, and you know, you, we've got to develop your skills to play in all those positions, or the majority of them. So, yeah, he makes for, makes for good conversations. Uh, you know, we try, try to tell the England captain that she's on the bench, for the game against France, first game against France. That's not an easy conversation, but it's, it, it was the right conversation to have, because, you know, Poppy was absolutely outstanding. Uh, i tell you what, i tell you what it it does do. It, it, it gives you, it gives you an opportunity to re- really think about how you want to select not just the players but the makeup of the side. So when we went into that last game, Matt Luffman and myself kicked this the selection around for ages. We had players all over the place, uh, and then and I looked at it, and in the end, I just went right. I think we should just do this, and we moved everybody to the back to the positions that they played most for England. So we moved Zoe into the second row, Poppy at six, and brought Sunter into start at eight. We wanted to get Miller Mills in because she's been outstanding. Uh, you know, the, the seven was sorted because Marley was out of the equation. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you look at something, you go, it just doesn't sit comfortably with me. All players playing really well. Uh, we, had, so we had Sunter in the second row. We had Poppy at eight. We had Zoe at six. And I just looked at it and I'm like, no, there's too many players out of position there. This, we need some continuity in this game. And the, the, the backs were a bit of a mix and match as well because obviously, uh, you know, we, we, we lost Jonesy, so we didn't have a 12. Amber wasn't ready and we thought she probably would have been by then. Uh, we couldn't get Laggy uh, sorted with a, with a visa to go right at the last minute. The French pulled the rug on that one. Uh, when they would cleared it, so we, we were, you know, hence the the, the, the Kenner at twelve was hasn't played twelve since her first international game. Uh, but a lot of the pack, and I, so I just said to Luffers, mate, let's let's go with where we know they can play for England. Uh, but we could do that because we'd, you know, they, they've been experienced in so many different positions that, and they're so comfortable doing it. So Poppy's played all the comp at eight, and then she jump, jumps in at six. You know, Zoe's played all the comp at six and jumps into the second row. Uh, Harriet's played all over. She just jumps in and plays. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the strength in debt's fantastic. 
Yes, and good luck to you selecting your World Cup squad. I've got two, two more questions, if that's all right, mate, for you. I just wanted to get to get your take. Um, and it, we, we've spoken a, a little bit on the pod with, with various people uh, about the Six Nations and um, the fact that it was standalone, the fact that it was a, you know, a bridged format, um, the fact that there was a lot of buzz around it. Jeez. There should be. But, yeah, things like the Fantasy League, which I'm sure you've spoken about, the Match Point Predictor, um, which I, I beat your old mate Gary Street at. And, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I only mentioned it because he was crying week one because he was right at the top. Anyway, um, uh, no, he's, he's, mate, he's in good form. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but, no, I just, just wonder from, from your point of view, from – from the man who's leading the, sort of the only professional side uh, in the competition, uh, these good things, where, where, where do these things sit for you? And, and does it have an effect on the, on the squad? The fact that these fantasy leagues are there and there's a, a couple of new podcasts popping up and unions are starting to do a few podcasts and that kind of stuff. And, and there's a, there's a bit of chat around it. Does it filtrate to the, to the squad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the fantasy rugby was absolute red hot topic. At the start, Brilliant. Uh, you know, all the girls, yeah, all the girls were massively into it. Uh, but obviously, how much am I know, worth? How much am I worth? They're not allowed. To, well, yeah, exactly. And, but they're actually not allowed to do it if you, because it's part of the, the the thing. But obviously, you know that that bit about how much I'm worth. So like, so the banter around it, and obviously the all the friends were doing it and everything like that. So I think they were all gutted that it actually fell into the category well i know for a fact they were good it fell into the category of you know the sort of betting and gaming for it for uh which is that we're obviously not allowed to do uh but the, yeah it, the, the buzz that created uh and then all the other stuff that that's that's really starting to generate now uh, but you know you know me i, I <laughs> come from quite a traditional background but one of the things Things I've realised is that we've got to open up as much as we can to 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 get the the word out there, and so we've taken a really proactive approach in terms of promoting the squad, promoting the squad from within, and getting the girls' exposure to as many sort of platforms as we can. Uh, and I think they've been brilliant because it's you know it's so easy to let that stuff affect performance, and I'm not absolutely convinced that it hasn't impacted on one or two. Players, uh, in fact, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced it has, and that's still for for me and the comms people to sit down and just have a look. But you, you, know, you expect that it's it's all about an education process. It's all about finding out what works for you, what doesn't work for you. But you know, we've done a lot of fly on the wall stuff through this and, and through the autumns because you know people just don't want the same old same old. They need some insights. They need some close up and personal stuff. Uh, one of the things we watched on the bus trip on the way down, we we. We watched the Chasing the Sun documentary, and uh, I was—I just found it un- unbelievable. Oh, it was incredible, you know, inspirational stuff. And you know, uh, you think, well, that's the stuff that makes you like. I can't wait to see the Lions tour now. Off the back of that, now that's the stuff that you want people to watch and go, well, I want a piece of that. That looks—that looks great. That looks really exciting and engaging. And. Uh, you know the girls have got great personalities. I mean, uh, honestly, this this group just made me laugh so much. The uh, the Jess Breach and Zoe Harrison show that is is continuous, is hilarious. Sarah, Sarah McKenna is as mad as a hire. Uh, 
and yeah, and Taish, she's like what a character she is. You know, I found out Beckett plays guitar and sings, so they all they basically got a, a group up singing during the uh, Six Nations. So maybe I'll have to get them on. They were outstanding. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of things to the group that I'm finding out, uh, and, and a lot of value in there that people would want to see. And what, and what about the format? I mean, generally, um, I know people have said, actually, like like the kind of finals day, but we're not on a stage where we can start taking test matches away from any nation. Um, so it would need to to, to, to work those finals into sort of possibly even a, a bigger six nations. Uh, uh, those kind of chats and just sort of cheering the fact you've been been having with, with your coaches and what have you, where do you sit with that? Yeah, you know, it's a question of been continually asked. I mean, first of all, the air window is fantastic. You know, the, yeah. to get the, the the sun on your back when you're playing, and, and you know, create that that opportunity to play more high speed rugby uh, is great. So I think everybody loves that. And the standalone bit from the men, you only have to look at the amount of extra, extra coverage we've had. And you go on the you go on the websites, the rugby websites, and it's it's all about the, the women's game. You know, and particularly on match day, which it should be, but the build-up's been fantastic. So I think the exposure in terms of growing the game and putting a better product on the field, the April window is, is you know, is a is a win-win. Uh, I, I love the finals day. I think, you know, if you go traditional Six Nations, it's not like the men's. If we play France first up, as things stand at the moment, yeah. the rest of the competition is it's it's yeah, you know, and and so I think. You, you could see the excitement. You could you could feel the excitement of, of, of finals day, and not just for the England France game. You know, the the other games were were bubbling as well. Uh, yeah. So I think it's probably one of those where, again, you know, traditionalists. I, I love the Six Nations in in the form, but you've got to you've got to be progressive, and you've got to you've got to be reactive to what people want and and what creates excitement. So I think it's definitely worth another another look at because, as you say, you. We cannot lose international games. It's massively important that everybody gets a quota, uh, you know. And uh, and so it's you know, maybe it just needs to rethink uh, how do you how do you take all those positives and look at some of the the, the draw the drawbacks to it, get rid of them, and, and build a comp that everybody can sort of flourish in. Yeah. Welcome back, Spain. All is forgiven, and in you come. Netherlands, Germany. I mean, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's sides out there, aren't there? Uh, that uh, Sweden, you know, are, are doing stuff. What, what, one, one more, one more, one more uh, for you, mids. And it, it's just slightly wider than, than than the Six Nations. Now we're well, a couple of months on from that decision being being pushed back. Are you now saying? Well, I guess you have to, and I, and I know you, and, you, and this is what you'll you'll turn it around to, even if you kind of weren't thinking that way. But how much of a positive is it? That it's been delayed, and I, I'm particularly thinking about that that number ten berth. Ah, uh, mate, it, uh, right from the word go, I was that's the right decision. Well, I, I was like, yeah. like disappointing, you know, and 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 the, and the disappointment hit me a little bit more a couple of weeks after because it okay. was sort of you felt like you came down a little bit. It took a bit of absorbing, unquestionably the right decision, mate. Because not just from a world, women's worldly point of view, you have to create a. a the World Cup's not creditable, and it's not, you know, then nothing's going to be. And without yeah. putting, giving everybody the opportunity to prepare and be at their best. And, you know, whether it's a prepare to, to win it or a prepare to 
be the best you've ever been in it and finish as high as you've ever high as you've ever finished in it. You've got to be given the opportunity for the credibility of the competition. So that was impossible. In the situation we had, it was absolutely impossible. And it was just stacking it more and more in the favour of New Zealand, you know, which they don't need any more advantage. You, know, you should always have an advantage. If you if you host the competition, you should have an advantage, you know, because it's yeah. it's a little bit of a prerogative because you've, you're hosting. But, you know, I'd have been banging there, well, New Zealand need to quarantine as well. I'll do some sort of quarantine process as well because you could have done that, but nobody was talking about that. But, you know, there were so many things that would have negatively impacted on it uh, that I thought it was unquestionably the right decision. Uh, from our point of view, you know, we, I mean, we'd have, we'd have been ready. You know, we, we, we'd have been ready, but we could have been better. And we will be better with not having, A, the Olympics impact on our preparation, which it would have done massively. You know, in terms of, you know, we losing three or four world-class players and very influential players for the whole preparation, summer preparation period, you know, is going to impact on anybody. Uh, but, it, but it would have, you know, it obviously would have on us. I'm sure other nations would argue exactly the same, you know, but I'm not too worried about the other nations. I'm thinking about what impacts on us. Uh, so it gives us time to develop those players, you know, uh, because as good as Eleanor Rowland's been, she's only got four caps, international caps. You know, as good as Jonesy is, she's only got half a dozen and they were right at the start of her career, you know. Yeah. Zoe Harrison's just starting to really flourish and take, take, take a grip uh, of the squad, you know, so, so we, we're seeing growth in her. And then you've got other players who, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of, the players who really started to, to impose himself on the squad, like a Zoe Holcroft, like a Sarah Beckett, you know, where will they be in a year's time? You know, where will a bots be in a year's time? Uh, you know, a Poppy Cleal. I mean, you know, Pop, Poppy's had such a rough ride, but she's been absolutely outstanding in this tournament, you know. So we we had a real specific plan for her. We were never going to realise that plan if the, if it hadn't moved. So we got that. Uh and then there's, there's players like Moena Tallinn who came in and smashed it out of the park completely for us. You know, would have been a walk into our World Cup squad at, at 18 years old, uh, but then busted ACL. You know, now if we get things right, she'll be ready. You know, and, and that's another back five player. You don't need any more. <laughs> so don't be greedy now, Bits. Come on, mate, you can never have. You can have, never have too many. <laughs> never have too many. So uh, yeah, it's it, it, mate, it was. For me, it was a bit of a blessing, I think. You know, for the comp, I think it was a bit of a blessing. Well, it definitely was, right. in my eyes. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm conscious that uh, no doubt you've got a, another 400 Zooms to get onto today uh, in your quarantine. People are probably peppering you to, to get in front of meetings as you're sat there at home. But thank you so much for, for all your time, as ever. There's loads and loads more that I'd like to ask you and uh, get into. But... Um, always and a, a real treat and a pleasure to speak to you and thank you so much for all your time congratulations on yet another six nations victory what's that back to back to back to back to back to back grand slams um and a, a friendly victory in the air as well so yeah great to see you again this morning mids cheers john i'm lynn cantwell and you're listening to the women's rugby pod always great to get uh sam middleton on the pod um, I know we get to say a little bit uh, a, a little bit rugby nausey, but I 
I, you know me, I, I like that stuff. And if you're, if you're fully invested in a game of rugby, then uh, he's, he's a great man to, to listen to and uh, to give us so much of his time. It's, um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. But uh, his, his take on, on, on the lights going down, um, I won't tell the listeners and viewers um, a few little uh, WhatsApp messages you, you fired out to the, the, the team post that uh, birth. You seem quite annoyed. Have you, have you settled down now? Yeah, I, I have settled down, but it's just oh, so frustrating, isn't it? For for it to get so much traction through the Six Nations and kind of that the fixture that played last weekend, Six Nations, and then for that to happen, it's just it's just not okay at elite level, men or women. It shouldn't be happening, and I was just so disappointed that the lights went off. That's one thing, and I was really disappointed that the game wasn't then finished. If I'm honest with you, I wanted England to finish that game out. You know. Big opportunity, had a couple of debuts on the bench, wanted to see how they would go. And, yeah, I was just, you know, overall, everybody was disappointed. It was such a a tight game. It wasn't conclusive. It wasn't one team had the upper hand. It was, you know, going back and forth between the two. And we'd have just loved to have seen how that last 20 minutes is so critical in an elite game because they're normally the, the times where games are won and lost. Um, so, yeah, I was really, really gutted by it. I think it, it had a real bad look for, for the women's game. The fact that the lights turn up mid-exiting out of your 22. Um, and then, you know, the discussions to be on BBC where, you know, an England team manager is talking to the referee and stating that I think it's just, yeah, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't great for the game. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, but let's let's just take the the sexism debate out of it and just throw that away because it's it's totally irrelevant. It's totally irrelevant. Whoever's controlling the lights is not doing it in a sexist way. Or, geez, wow. I mean, if it was, then that's some conspiracy. Um, we are hearing reports. Nothing official from the FFR. Perhaps a Gallic shrug, little uh, little weeds on the on the jeton or something like that, and uh, they'll probably let it pass away. But. I think World Rugby should come down heavily on it um, and, and get a, a clear explanation. I think it's one of those things. It's happened in the men's game multiple times in World Cups. So let's just throw the, the sexism debate out thing. Um, from my personal point of view, I, I, I was gutted. I wanted to see England that last 20 minutes because I think that's, you know, they're a fully professional team and I think they are battle-hardened and I think for them to come through that, and there'd be lots of stopping and changing, so they'd be really fresh. The bench, as Mid was, was saying, was full of impact. As you said, yeah, there's debutants. desperate to play. Yeah, absolutely. Harriet Miller-Mills coming on bottom and coming on, all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but I think what, what it does is it adds to a narrative, doesn't it? That, um, you know, we, we take a couple of steps forward with it, be you know, Fantasy League or Match Point Predictors or you know, separate stop for the, the women's fixation, getting loads of attention, that kind of stuff. And, and, and then we, it falls down for some reason, whether it be, Doing two and a half kilometres um, uh, for a full match to, to go and have a look at the, the TMO decisions on a screen, or yeah, you know, the fact that we don't have half-time presentation—it just all adds to that narrative, and therefore people get swept up. Oh well, it's it's not with the men's. That's got nothing to do with it, but but it does add to the narrative that yeah. it isn't done in in the same way that that, that things are done for the men, and I, I get that. I get that frustration. Um, you know, we're fully immersed in it, aren't we? So so we understand the frustrations. I'm just uh, fully and um, yeah, the last couple of years for me littered with frustrating conversations of people not willing to, to, to put their money where their mouth is and stuff. Um, so I, I, I get that. 
Um, it was really frustrating, and as ever, for, it's it's for the players, isn't it? Um, we just talk about those those debutants. Um, but I think, as 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 Mids was saying, sixty minutes in, you're beating France for the ninth time in a row. You've had four pretty, you know, intense intense weekends. You played France back to back, short turnarounds, travelling. Uh, I, I get the fact that you go. Do you know what? Bigger picture, club club and and end of club season to to go. Let's you know, let, let's hang it up there and we'll take the W. But um, yeah, really really sad way to to end. And as you say, it makes it look real amateurish. Yeah, really and uh, yeah, it does, and and I think you're spot on with saying about the narrative. It just gives another reason to have another dig at the game, and 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 make people step want to step away from it because it's like oh, it's another thing that's going on. And yeah, I, I guess you know the question that probably is on everybody's lips is like if if it was the other way around and it was France 17 and England 15, would France have done the same situation, not wanted to play? And yeah, so we got <laughs> hello. It's a little hammer there. Live on the pod. Oh, mate, right. oh, lovely. Oh, well, good stuff. Thanks very much. Brilliant. I do apologise, Beth. Where were you? I don't know. Um, Wilfred Hammond. I'm saying, you know, if it had been the other way around and England weren't winning that game, how would it have played out? I think France would have done the same, probably wanted to call it. They would want to have ended that losing uh, streak against England. But, you know, that's all easy to say now when it wasn't the scenario. And look, I do I do get it when you, you reflect and you think of they're going to have to wait 20 minutes for the lights to come back on. I didn't know this, but apparently they can blow up. Is that right? If you turn lights straight back on, on that kind of magnitude and size. So that's why you have to allow them to cool down to then put the lights back on, which would have taken 20 minutes at least. Then players need to warm up again. You know, they already kicked off at 9pm. So you can see all of those side of things. It's just such, such a shame because that story of England-France was building and we we knew, like, even if England went on to win that game and with the bench that Simon would have, they probably would have, but everybody still wants to see them go and finish and win that game. And I think that's probably the where a lot of disappointment from fans is. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, and I, I just, I, I think from your your standpoint of, of, of making it look amateurish, this is absolutely essential. And again, I, you know, from the broadcast side, but we don't need to convince you know, most people listen to this pod to watch women's rugby. We, we don't need to convince people to go and you know, follow the, the, the clubs and, and, and the Red Roses. We need to convince those floating voters. Jesse used to work with us on the pod here, watches international rugby, doesn't watch a bit of club rugby. That's the people we, we want to get to suck in. And therefore, you've got to produce it as a quality product. What you guys are producing on the field is a quality product. And you've got to present it so. It's not being done by anyone like that at the moment. And oh yeah, I, I go back to, to my old employee, Sky. He did a Red Roses game. He did it properly. And there's multiple cameras, presentations, da, da, da. And, and it was done really well. And, and I get all the finance and what have you. But you've got to put your money where your mouth is. And and, and it's got to be presented properly. And it just, you know, little things like that, when you turn on, you go, oh, I might watch the last 20 minutes of that. Do it. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, and it's all a bit, you know, and yeah, fair play to Sarah Orchard did a did a magnificent job in, in very very tough very very tough conditions. Um, 
been there. That's not a very, very lonely place to be as a broadcaster. So, look, what did you make of the first 62 minutes anyway? Well, I think France were out of the blocks. And I think that was probably the best performance that we've seen from France. But their discipline in that last, you know, coming into the second quarter of that, sorry, the first quarter of the second half, you could see that their fitness started to drop and then their discipline started to drop. And a real turning moment was that Poppy Cleal incident where Poppy milked it a little bit. <laughs> but that yellow card, because it was a penalty to France, they would have probably slotted the kick um, for three points. Suddenly they're ahead. And that moment, I think, was a big turning point for them. Yep. Um, how good's Abby Dow? Oh, outrageous. Like, just her ability, the way that she... Joe, when she got that ball, because it was a bit of ping-pong, wasn't it? Kicking... And, like, nobody was really going anywhere. They weren't particularly great kicks. And she just thought, you know what? I'm not kicking this back because, actually, <laughs> the chase wasn't great. And just for her to to weave in and out of France and, you know, players slipping off Abby, da- off Abby Dow, like Menage, who is a strong tackler, literally was like she's playing touch. And, and even over the last, yeah, it was fantastic from her. But that got England out of a bit of trouble, that try. Uh, Greg, she went against Scotland uh, last year, didn't she? And yes, uh, as I said during the chat with uh, with Mids, um, delighted for her. Um, and you know, those in and around and, and looking down were, were very, very proud of, of her performance as well. So yeah, well done, Abby. Great to great to see you scoring tries like that. So it was seventeen fifteen to England in Lille uh, with the match ban at sixty two minutes. And England remain on top of the world rankings, which, you know, as Mid said, that was a motivation for them. Had England lost, New Zealand would have gone top, having not played for 18 months. That's correct. How that is worked out, I don't know. We could probably find out from Dom Ramos at, at uh, World Rugby, but let's not get into that. We, I think we had a bit too much technical um, language with your with your knowledge of light bulbs and uh, stadium lighting already. Yeah. So... Uh, yeah, no, some some nice tries and, and France led early on, didn't they, with uh, Philippon and then Abidal scoring again. Uh, that outstanding solo effort from her. Jesse Chimulio, uh scored as well, capitalising on that yellow card for Zoe Harrison uh, for that offside slash obstruction. I mean, it was 14-12 at half-time. Two penalty kicks then exchanged before the lights went out. And it was a fairly sad and... Uh, Yes, amateurish ending to a game. But um, yes, light technicians and stadium managers and lights and timers are not sexist. So let's just not jump on that bandwagon. Because the other thing I wanted to say, Berth, and this is, you're supposed to be ranting this week, not me, <laughs> is if you start to turn it into that, it turns those floating voters away as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, just yeah. leave it alone. You know, just it, it, that's not the case. Um, and it it just it turns people away in that in that respect. Yeah. Well, it it puts the game in in again in the wrong place and they're in the wrong light. And it's almost like it's seen as excuses or and that does turn people off. It's like oh here we go again. It's it's on that bandwagon as opposed to just for what it is. Um, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that. So that's England wrapped up for the autumn. Uh, the autumn, the spring. Um, <laughs> Quite where I am at. My my son coming into the room has really, really dishevelled me. I have to say, 
bouncing here with his head around the, the corner of the chair there. <laughs> uh, bless him. Snuck in behind you. Yeah, he's very sneaky, that one. Um, your overall impression then of, of England, you know, I posed some of those questions to, to Mids. How how tough a job is that selection going to be for that World Cup squad? Because as much as I know I had a, a personal conversation with him, one of their first training sessions after 14, they just said we just didn't have that strength and depth. You know, Nolly goes and then Meg Jones has got to move and Skaz has got to go back to 15. Yeah. And um, the scrum half situation leading into the World Cup, wasn't it? Uh, somebody was injured and, and therefore the selection wasn't quite right. So getting out of strength and depth is one of the, one of the key, key focuses. Um, but just how tough, tough is it? Has it made his job even more difficult by swapping and changing and people performing so well? Yeah, I think. Any coach wants to have that situation where they've got, you know, potential two or three players who can play multiple positions and be able to slot in. We, you know, in 2017, when we lost Nolly, it was massive. Nobody else had played in the, in the fullback position, you know, for a, a substantial amount of time. That's a big area against a kicking side like New Zealand. You know, it put us in trouble because we had to move things around. So now developing depth in those different areas, in those different positions. You know, Meg Jones could play 10, 12, 13, could, could probably play fullback as well. So having, you know, a player that is really strong in one position, but then also can, can really perform at other position gives him such a great opportunity to pick players who can cover a few places, which might allow you to bring a bit of different X factor that may not have all the experience. You know, my first cap, I was, um, I went to a World Cup because they had so much um, experience around me, they were able to take a young player who wasn't captain. And, and that could open up, you know, there's so many young talent at the moment in the Allianz Premier 15, that if there's a shining star, you know, at the end of, say, next season, and it's like, well, actually, Emily Robinson, she's been on fire. She's been into a couple of camps. We're going to back her and take her because we know we've got some more strength and depth in that area. And I think it's a, it's a great place to be in, for certain. Yeah, absolutely. Um... What's your back five of the pack? <sighs> World Cup final tomorrow. Oh, World Cup final. Against whoever. Let's oh, say, for argument's sake, New Zealand. Who's your back five? Two locks and, and, your, and your three back row. Go. Um, Abby Ward, Zoe, Allcroft, Marley Packer, um, Poppy Cleal. <laughs> I'd put Sarah Hunter at six. Cleal at eight. Yeah. Marley Packer, seven. Allcroft yeah. Maud. And you're 10, 12, 13. Oh, come what? on. You said... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, come on. Come on. It's your area of expertise. Oh, God, my 10, 10 12, 13. Five. And everyone's fit. Yeah. 10, 12. And I put one more caveat and then you can't select yourself. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Um... She would, listeners. She would. <laughs> Oh, 10, 10 and 12, you're saying? And 13. And 13. Well, I'd put Skaz at 13. Ooh. Would you? Yeah, yeah okay. Skaz 13. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'd put Zoe Harrison at 10. Oh, would I? <sighs> Thinking for a kicking game. She'll manage the kicking game a lot better. She's impressed me this Six Nations, Zoe Harrison. Yeah. She stepped up um, and she showed real maturity, I thought. Yeah. It's been a thing missing from her, you know, from her game. I would, I would go with Meg Jones. She's got a bit of X factor and you have 
bit of like, you know, Skaz is a nice staple. Know what you're going to get. Same with Zoe. Put a bit of X Factor. I mean, Meg does, she does have quite a few errors in her game, but she pushes the limit and she tries stuff and they come off more than they don't come off. So, yeah, I'm going with that. Harrison Jones Scarrett. Do you yeah, agree? Playing and yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. But yeah, let's see, we'll put you on the spot there. And do you agree with Berth that uh, 10, 12, 13 for our World Cup final against the Masters tomorrow? Um, let us know on social media at Pod Women's Rugby. Helen her on with her footwork when the opposition's a bit tired. See ya. There you go. That's how the game's going to play out. I mean, you can thank me later, but. Perhaps you should get into a little bit of coaching. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> just saying. Uh, look, the, the other big, big news, and, and it is kind of um, uh, English news, and it's uh, it's Harlequin's news. But we must touch on it. Um, Karen Finley is going to leave her position as a forwards coach at the end of the season at Harlequin. She's been there um, from the beginning with her her old chum Gary Street, uh, who left the end of last season. Um, it's it's too easy a question, but I, I suppose it's the, the most obvious question. How big a hole is she going to leave? Oh, massive. Uh, you know, you mentioned it there. She's been part of the DNA and the heartthrob of, of the squad right from the get-go. Um, and, yeah, it's not going to be the same not having her around. You know, hopefully she'll stay real close to the squad. And she's got so many deep relationships here with certain players that she's worked with, for, you know, we're talking over a decade of coaching individuals like Vic Cornborough, Fleet Fletcher, myself, you know, a lot of players under her wing at Richmond and um, Scotland. And so, yeah, look, it is going to be a huge hole. Um, she's She's got a big heart and she cared and cares so much about players and the club. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really sad that come the end of the season and, you know, we, we want to give her the best send off and one to, to really remember. So we've got a little bit of added motivation there um, to do it for, for Jock. Look, it's not, not, not an easy uh, question. It's not, not, not an easy uh, answer, but um, you know, you're half the WRP and you, you've got to answer some of these, these tough, tough questions at, at, uh, at times. For me, yeah, Harlequins are very much leading the way and in certain areas still very much are. But you lose Tony Diprose, and, and some people won't, won't know who Tony Diprose was, but it was um, uh, huge in, in pushing pushing the women's women's game. Then Gary Street moves, and you know, they're all, all for valuable kind of reasons as to, to why they're moving on. Gary Street's looking after the youngsters in the pathway, Harlequins now rather than the women's, and then Karen Finney goes. And I just – three pillars – of uh, of Harlequin's women uh, have gone, and that's to take nothing away from Gerard. But if you're looking from the outside, wow, really? All in the space of eighteen months. That that for me, if I was going to Harlequin's fan, um, and I've got to be I'm biased, of course. Um, but um, that that would really worry me. That would really worry me because who, who who's pushing it now? Who's pushing that envelope that got Harlequin's to to be the standout club? In, in in women's rugby around the world, that they're pushing 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 those glass ceilings all the time. Who, who's pushing those those bits and pieces now? Is it a bigger worry as 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 I'm making out? 
I think naturally you would have those worries when you start to see, you know, massive influential people, part of a club move on. Of course, you're going to feel um, some of those worries. But there's a lot of really good people looking after this space, the women's game, that really care about where it's going. And there's no way that a club that wants to be seen as the team and the the club that is leading the way that the foot's going to come off the gas, you know, let's just look at some of the players that will make sure that that, that stays on. And, you know, we, we, a lot of us still talk a load um, to, to Gary, Tony Diprose is still there and, you know, they're, they're not too far away and they can still have, um, you know, they still give us a lot of support. Um, but, you know, like, like things do change and, and there's a different vision maybe that's happening at the club and you've got Owen East uh, Wood who's been doing some cultural work and, you know, at times things do move on and they do change and, and maybe that's a directional of a, a whole club piece. Instead of looking at it in isolation, oh, this is the women's game and this is the men's game, maybe they're looking now more about the whole club as a whole moving forward together. Right, OK. Yeah, I, utterly remiss of me. I didn't even mention Atlanta St. John. Yeah, part of that uh, yeah, sort of – yeah, I, I – I'm looking forward to see, seeing how, how it plays out because uh, you know, and I've said publicly or, on air many, many times, whether in in in, uh, in commentary or on this podcast, just how yeah, a brilliant Harlequins have been in, in, in pushing things. And actually, um, yeah, it will be interesting to see if continue to to keep pushing with these with these characters um, that have moved on. Um, but look, we should move on to other news. Hi, I'm Bill Beaumont, and you're listening to the Women's Rugby Pod. So news from elsewhere in the rugby world. It was a historic day down in New Zealand at Eden Park, wasn't it? The uh, the Blues and the Chiefs, the first ever Super Rugby women's game. The Blues, Wahini against the Chiefs, Wahini. I, I hope I've pronounced that right. I doubt it. Anyway, the Chiefs ran out uh, 39-12 winners. Absolutely brilliant coverage, as you would expect down in New Zealand. Um, 8,000 fans watched. All-female referee team. Really, really intense game. An 18-year-old playmaker, Patricia Maliapo, was the first ever try scorer in women's super rugby history. That's not a bad... Uh, start your your fledgling career is it um having that in their in their history books um yeah it was a superb lovely little grubber and finish as well it was a it was a classy moment uh but yeah brilliant occasion sky and zed put it on really really superbly and uh, was there for all to see off the back of that um and it's becoming more of a trend isn't it and a trend that we we certainly welcome uh, was was Les Elder, who's who's captain the uh, the the All Blacks, uh, the Black Ferns, I should say, came out in the press conference and just used that platform just to say the way stuff is doing being done at the moment just isn't good enough. And not her words, obviously, I'm not, I'm not quoting her, um, but just players need to be resourced properly. And then Casey Alley came out, didn't she, uh, uh, as well uh, on social media? Uh, Chelsea Alley, I should say. I've got a Casey Alley. Uh, Chelsea Alley, uh, another current Blackford, took social media uh, and said what's being asked of the Blackford's players uh, at the moment just isn't sustainable. This is a lady who's a World Cup winner, tries to hold down three jobs just to play for her country. 
it's just not right, is it? No, and, and you know, it's, it's not just in New Zealand where they're talking about Poppy Cleal came out this week with yeah. with a quote as well on, on her Instagram page. She was up for those of you who aren't aware, Poppy won um, Women's Player of the Tournament for the Six Nations, just gone and, and deservedly so. Um, but she was also asked to give a quote of you know winning the player of the championship and she said that she had to be subtle and she had written I'll just read it here from from Instagram she says I hope that other female rugby players and athletes are given the same opportunity to be the best they can but what she really was saying within that message is we can't carry on playing professionals versus amateur invest in the girls invest in the passionate dedicated athletes you work with and see week in week out they represent your nation so well they deserve better and they deserve the resources to reach their potential potential sooner rather than later it has to be a level playing field and that's not the first time poppy Cleo has um, spoken out um, around these kind of issues and you know it's it's becoming more and more isn't it 100% and, and fair play to you, Poppy. Uh, not only be an outstanding Six Nations, um, but coming out and saying stuff like that. I, it used to be a, a fear culture, uh, didn't it? And I, I just waiting to get a little bit more news as to what's coming out of Canada. We'll, we'll touch on that next week. It's the same kind of lines as well. A, a culture of fear um, that people aren't able to put their head above the parapet and say, hang on, no, that's that's wrong. But now... Players are coming out and saying, Do you know, that's just not good enough. Um, and I totally welcome it. And as someone who's high profile and who, you know, is, is, is in a rich vein of, of um, sort of advertising and a commercial and, and a media sort of space that Poppy is in at the moment, um, using that platform is, is brilliant. Same with Les Elder and, and, and Chelsea Alley. Fair play to you. Let's just do what they say, shall we? It's easy as that. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Anyway, elsewhere, elsewhere around the globe. Why not New Zealand, by the way, uh, and the Super Rugby? Now, just the rest of the franchises to uh, to kick on, and we'll have a proper Super Rugby down there. That's properly resourced. Yeah, really cool that Super Rugby has begun that journey, and and yeah, really looking forward forward to seeing that kick on and other franchises to get involved. Um, but heading over to Russia, they've recently launched plans for a domestic 15s program. It's in a 10 year strategy that talks about a championship to be played as early as 2022. Um, and on the back of continuing their successful sevens um, program, which anybody who hasn't seen them play sevens, they're, they're a brilliant outfit. But Russia has a huge 15s potential and would want to showcase their ability, particularly having moved to 14th ranked in the world. Yeah, that's that brilliant news, isn't it? And WXV all coming into play. Um, that is really superb news. Just just to, just got across eight different time zones to play some away games, but um, <laughs> the logistics. Uh, but look, that is, is fantastic news. It is. We are, aren't we? We're, we're beginning to get things rolling elsewhere and around in the world. And Uganda, here's another place you wouldn't expect rugby to, to be playing. But uh, results from both Tier 1 and Tier 2 with the Central Region's 10th Championship at the weekend. Tier 1, the Black Pearls are crowned winners while the Blue Whales won Tier 2 due to uh, some restrictions. don't think there's going to be a national final between those two. But uh, teams in Tier 2 can expect to continue playing while the Tier 1 teams... Uh, players would like to be involved in the national team training ahead of the Elgon Cup and the Rugby Africa Women's Cup. 
That's brilliant news. And also in South Africa, provincial rugby has continued Premier and Championship divisions. Six teams in the Premier League in an 11-week competition leading into the top two teams competing in the final. Two groups of four and five retrospectively to battle it out for the championship division. And the two top teams of each group go head to head on the 17th of July to play for a spot in the Premier Division. You can see that Link Campwell is making moves already in South Africa. Watch that. (laughs) Yeah, watch, watch that space with Campwell involved. Impressive lady, impressive human being. Over in France, do you want to take, you want to take this, uh, Mademoiselle? I'll let you work on your French. Mine's yeah, fine. no. Oh, how selfless. How kind <laughs> of you. How selfless. Uh, round four of the uh, Elite One playoffs in Pool One. Stade Rene uh, went down to Blagnac 34-29. Lance just missed out 22-23 to Montpellier. Montpellier, of course, the, the, the big powerhouse over in France. In Pool Two, SM Rogwina beat Bayonne 19-5. And Stade Bordelais Lost out to Stade Toulousian, 19 points to 17 at home. Back here on English shores, the Premier 15's final round. What? How can it be the final round already? I know. Um, It's Christmas next week. Anyway, um, (laughs) in this round, Exeter, Cluster Hartbury, your last, well, no. Last regular season predictions, please, Rachel Burford. I am going to say extra on this one. Yep. I'm with you. DMP Quinns. Is that home win? Okay. Surprised. Away win. What's that? Home win. Harlequins away win. Oh, okay. Harlequins away win. Understood. Um, We'll edit that. Loughborough against Sale. Uh, Loughborough. Wasp Bristol. Wasps. Worcestershire against uh, Saracens. Saracens. Lovely. Excellent. Gloucester Hartley played for fifth. If Sale beat Loughborough, uh, Bristol lose to Wasp. Sale could go eighth. But the top four are decided, just the places on that. And they're doing something a little bit different, are they? The, uh, the RFU and some of the clubs. Quite a few games being streamed and sort of Soccer Saturday type feel to it with the tries coming in from different places and uh, reporters and what have you being at, at various games. The, the streamed game is, is Worcester against Bristol. I know for a fact that uh, Worcester Saracens is being streamed by, by Worcester as well. Um, so, yes, a, a different way of doing it. Good initiative. Probably be a lot better and a lot more exciting if there are things riding on it. But we have our top four. So a little bit too little, too late. But look, um, it, it's progress, isn't it? So. We should commend that. Be interesting to see how it works, actually. Um, but yes, there are a lot, lots of plans and lots of ideas floating around next year for for the uh, the Premier 15s and, and how it's broadcast and whatever. So uh, yes, fingers crossed we can yeah properly put the league on, on the map and get some proper fan engagement. So um, yeah, it's marvellous. Just finally to our shout-outs then, Berth. Did you... Um, Managed to catch the remarkable untold story of the 2014 Rugby World Cup podcast. I haven't caught all of it. I have listened to some of it. Um, and yeah, it's the first one I listened to. It was really cool. Just listening back to the memories and 
yeah, it, it was really, really cool. So I'm looking forward to, to reading and listening to the rest. I've already had some people tell me about how good it is. So, yeah, looking to dive into that. Yeah, that's um, Gary Street and Graham Smith uh, are alongside Eamon Hogan and Jess Bunyard. Uh, it really is really nicely put together um, and some, yeah, some in-depth thinking about how the guys went about um, winning the World Cup and, and the fallout and all the rest of it. So, yeah, do give that a, a little listen if you can. Yep, and our friend um, of the pod, Kendra Coxage, um, currently New Zealand halfback, has teased us about announcing coming soon a book called Little Kend, noting that she could never find a book um, about girls playing rugby as a youngster. So this is an incredible thing for visibility for young girls. We harp on about it all the time. You have to see it to be able to be it. Absolutely. Uh, Just a very, very quick shout out to Phoebe Shipley, and Father Adrian, who got in touch. Thank you very much for your kind words, your kind message. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. Do share the pod. Just, I know we go bang on about it. I know it's going to drop in your inbox. You probably subscribed. But it does make a massive, massive difference. Even if it's just three words, just give us a little bit of feedback. Pop a little five star in there. Hey, Berth. And get in touch. You know, if there's certain guests you want us to get on, then then put it in the reviews. Get in touch with us. We'll do our very best. But, yeah, we want to hear from the listeners. So as much as you can, it really supports the pod with the rating and the subscriptions. So please do. Um, and you can find us at Pod Women's Rugby across all social platforms. The last thing really to say is thank you uh, to Simon Middleton, the England head coach. Huge amount of time he gave us uh, and some, yes, he had to tiptoe around some some issues, especially around the lights, but he was very politically correct. Um, but no, always great to, to get him on the pod and, and he speaks so, so honestly. And uh, yeah, we appreciate the relationship we have with him and uh, and, and the RFU. Uh, thank you to him. Thank you to the team, to Sean, to Amazon, to Harry, to Tom, to Jenny, to Robbie Nutt, to you, Rachel Burford. And remember, women's sport is an investment not a cost. Until next time.